What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the NCP Conversation, where biblical sermons are presented through a TED Talk-like fashion. I'm your host, William Kahn, and today we are doing the breakdown of episode number 13, The Best Gift Ever. Now, if you're new here and you're wondering what is a breakdown, a breakdown essentially is looking at the components of a sermon through a creator's standpoint, through a creative standpoint. Uh, here, what we do here at the NCP Conversation is we take a sermon, we present it to you, and then the following podcast, we break down what that sermon was all about. So today, we're doing the breakdown of the best gift ever, taken from the standpoint of James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. Now, as you know from how I have begin, how I have been presenting these servants is I want to follow a path, right, from the truth to the greater truth to the gospel truth. And we start uh, from a creative standpoint, from the greater truth. What is the Bible trying to say to us? And that's because we as Christians hold the Bible to a greater standpoint. We believe that the truths in this book that begin to scream at us and tell us about the creator of the world, the God of the universe, the king of our lives. So what I'm going to do today is we're going to jump right into the text of James 1, 16-18, what the text says, how we can be dissecting it, and then what was the greater truth I pulled out of the text, which leads to the truth and the gospel truth. And then we'll talk, finally, about application. So let me read for you the text today. Again, the text is James 1, 16-18, verse 16. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creation. Now, each verse here, verse 16 verse 17 and verse 18, um, all definitely should be kept together as a full thought. But each verse is, is a little bit different. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. That is a, conjoin, uh, a combining verse of these three verses and the last three verses, verses 13 to 15. So, you know, we dealt with last week how... Um, um, we were wondering, does God deceive us, right? No, deception doesn't come from God. Temptation doesn't come from God. It comes from our very own self. So we have to have right perception um, about who is leading us down these dangerous paths. And, and the answer is, it's ourselves, right? So 16 says, don't be deceived. It goes on to say, every good and perfect gift, verse 17, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. So, verse 17 deals very much with who God is, the Father of lights, and, and who does not change, there's no variation with Him, and what He does, He gives good and perfect gifts, right? Um, and then 18 is a, is a very gospel-centered passage of His own will, right? So, from the will that does not change, that has no shadow, that is of the light, he brings us forth by the word of truth. The word of truth there would be Jesus, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Now, first fruits is an Old Testament kind of language where 
um, there will be a harvest. And at harvest time, you collect all of your wheat, all of your fruit, all of whatever you're harvesting. And you take the very best, the top 10%, and you give it to the temple. You give it to God. And you make sacrifices to Him. And this ritual, this tradition, this sacrifice was to, for the Jews to be able to show God, excuse me, for the Jews to be able to show God that they trusted God in giving a portion of their, of their labor back to Him to say, we trust you with the harvest that we brought in this year, and we know that you gave this to us. So we're going to recognize you by giving it, giving some of it back to you. Now, of course, if we gave everything, if we gave the whole harvest back to God, the Jewish people wouldn't, wouldn't have anything to eat off. So God says, give, it, give me a first fruit. Give me your best uh, of your harvest. Give me the best of your animals. Give me the best of what you have and, and, and sacrifice it to me, honoring me as your God and King. And so these, this is what the idea of the first fruits would be with, um, with the harvest or with yearly sacrifices. Um, verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the water truth that we should be a fruit, first fruits of his creation. James is writing to the first disciples, the first followers of Jesus. And he's saying, listen, Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, made you whole again. This is the whole gospel truth that we bring to you. Jesus made you whole again so that right, we would be a kind of first fruits. In other words, some scholars think that James is speaking exactly to um, his readers to say, no, you were chosen. You are the first of your kind. You are the first followers of Jesus. You are the first disciples of mine. You are the first fruits, right? You're the, you're the first. And, and as we go along, there's going to be more harvest that comes in, but you're the first. And so we, yeah, God, through Jesus, made you new, made you the first fruit of his creation. The, top, the very tippy top of all the world, not because of what you have done for yourself, but because of what Jesus has done for you. So you can see verse 16, a transition verse. Verse 17, um, describing who God is, Father of lights, no variation, no shadow, who gives good gifts. Verse 18, gospel, and of those good and perfect gifts, he brought before you Jesus, that we may be transformed to be the very best of all mankind, not because of what we did for ourselves, but because everything that we have that is in us is being stripped away. You know, remember last week, James was talking about how we have desires within us, the sinful desire that is being stripped away so that we don't um, continue to walk in a wrong path into sinful actions. And in other words, incurring death. See, all those actions, all those desires, that nature will one day be stripped away from us. And so, in other words, James says, you are first fruit. There's no uh, corruption within you. There's no uh, terrible evilness within you that is going to keep with you into the afterlife because Jesus has removed that from you. I know we're talking very spiritual here, but this is what the verse says. And so when we look at the verse, we say, okay, what is the one focus that James is trying to get across here? 
Well, the, if we look at these verses compared to the whole text of James that we've seen so far, he is saying, listen, you are <laughs> sinful. You are bad. You, you have these bad desires which lead to bad actions which will ultimately end up in your death. Where God is very different from you. He is not bad. He is the father of lights. He is whole. He has integrity. He does not have shadow or change in him. Right? So James is saying God gives good and perfect gifts. And of those gifts, he has given us the water truth, who is Jesus. That is the whole thing here. Now, when I first went through this passage, I was trying to think, okay, what is the main verse here? And I think I got it wrong to, to begin with. I said, I believe the truth here is that all things, the greater truth, was all things were created by God for his glory. Right? And yes, so first fruits glorify God. God created lights. He's the father of lights. He is um, our father as children of God because of our fault because we are followers of Jesus. He, uh, he he brought forth, you know, Jesus as the things that were created. He created all things. And then from there I went to a truth which is that we have an intellectual designer um, of our world and then to a gospel truth. But I was having a trouble with that because I don't think that's what this verse was saying. And so I had to go back and as you know, I picked a different truth and greater truth because I believed that the passage was saying something to us, not about God's creation of the world, but about God's goodness, right? We, last week, we looked at man's um, sinfulness, man's depravity, man's wrongfulness. And so James here in verse 16 transitions that to look at God's goodness. Now, therefore, we can understand, right, that there's a truth here, and it it falls within verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. That is the truth we are exploring today, right? And then what I did was I um, broke that up to say the truth is that every good gift is given by God. The greater truth is every perfect gift is given by God. And you might not think, you might think, well, is there very much difference there? And I, I believe there is. And then the gospel truth is that the greatest gift, the most perfect gift, was Jesus. Jesus was given to us as the ultimate gift. So, so you can't look at. So as we begin to think of this passage, right? I used my uh, experience getting a tenor saxophone as a gift, and and even though it was a good gift. I cried about it because I didn't think it was a good gift. I thought it was a very, um, dangerous is not the right word. I thought it would cause tension in my school. And that is probably the best way I can put it compared to the things that I'm going to be talking about next. Because what happens when you talk about the goodness of God? Well, how do you know if God is good, right? Well... You can say God is perfect, but you have to have something to match. The idea of perfect, the idea of good, only has a little, only has substance in a particular way. Maybe I can't say that. God is good in the fact that he's not evil. God is perfect in the fact that he's not flawed. 
right? There's a, there's a way of defining that, right? And this is the argument that people will come to the table with and say, listen, God isn't good. And you'll say, why is that? And they might give you, if they haven't thought it through, um, more deeply than their own set of values, right? They say, because God hasn't been good to me. And we do this all the time, right? And I showed you how with my parents, I said, they're good. They're good because they're good to me, right? With God, we can't use that logic. It's a, it's a, they're not the same thing because my parents don't have an obligation to be good to you because they don't know you. Um, but they have an obligation to me because I am their son. God knows each and every one of us. God, if we believe the Christian values and Christian uh, uh, doctrine and Christian uh, ideas, is that God created everyone. God knows everyone. It's not an accident that you're here. God knew the world today. God knows the world in a hundred years from now. God knows the world in a thousand years from now, just like he knew the world a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, and beyond. God knows all things. This is the premise of the Christian faith that we just accept. We say God knows all things and God is powerful enough to guide the world in the way that he's creating and shaping it. And so people will come to the conclusion that, okay, so God knows everyone and he hasn't even been good to me. So I call him bad, but I come across and say, well, God isn't good to me. So God is good. Well, okay, that's not... That's anecdotal evidence. That's not scientific evidence. That's not uh, overwhelming evidence, right? So people have come to look at the world and they say, well, I look at the world and taking my experience out of it, just looking at the 8 billion people or how many people are on the left today, there are lots of them who fall below the poverty line. There are thousands of them who are starving. There are you know, millions of them who are, who are going to die within the next year. And you think, how can that be a good God? And so people have come, have come to the conclusion that if life here is all that matters, then God is at best a toddler who uh, does good one day and evil the next day and is, and is not uh, mindful of the blessings and sufferings that he hands out. Another view of God could be that, uh, no, he, you know, he changes from one day to the next, you know, based on his mood. One day God is happy, so he blesses everyone. Another day he's sad and he, and he does, and he will hurt people. One day he's mad and he will, he'll hurt people. He'll hurt a lot of people, right? That's the second view. A third view is that God is distant, right? There's no God. Um, we have been created and, and God has taking a step back from the world, and, um, and he doesn't care, right? So this is all random. We have created this life for ourselves. It's the luck of the draw that I am here in Canada, and somebody else is, you know, being born into a third world country where um, they are born with diseases and um, STDs, and they're going to die within the next year. I don't believe that... God is a toddler who doesn't understand what he's doing. I don't believe that God is an um, emotional God in the sense that if he is happy one day, he blesses you. If he's mad another day, he'll curse you. I don't believe God is far off. I believe that we have a God who 
does not change, but gives good gifts to all people. And one day um, he will see that all things are, are handed out equally, right? And so you say, well, things are not handed out on earth equally well. And so this is where we have to have an understanding of the afterlife. This is where people say, okay, yeah, when your whole life leads down, down into the dark, deep darks where there's nothing but death. And you look at a life and you say, well, man, like, how is that okay? Right? How is it okay that genocides happen? How is it okay that Holocaust happen? How is it okay that children are dying daily? Right? And, and because when you look at it from just this world's perspective, you say, that doesn't make any sense. Well, okay, what if there's an afterlife? And the innocent, the innocent, those who are covered by the blood of Jesus, are going to make that understanding. Innocent equals those covered by the blood of Jesus are saved from death and go to heaven. And those who have committed crimes against God go to hell. And you say, okay, I think I can get around that, right? Because you say, okay, um, is a baby, is a child innocent? Um, let's just say, let's like uh, a newborn is a newborn innocent. I believe so. I believe that any Christian would definitely say, no, yeah, like I think that a child is innocent, and the child who dies before a certain age um, is probably up in heaven. I think that's okay to say. I think that you know, when when I look at the God of justice, I don't see children. Um, in hell, and you say, okay, like that makes sense, right? And you say, say, okay, so that um, is is handed is that is that is justified because of an afterlife. Those people who are slaughtered, right? Their persecutors, their um, murderers are going to face judgment for that. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, like so, the idea that um, that there's an afterlife makes sense with a God who gives good and perfect gifts, right? Because some of us enjoy the blessings of life, right? Enjoy having a job, enjoy living in a, in a, in a home with a roof overhead, enjoy having food every day. And some people don't have those luxuries. Some people are struggling to get by. And people ask, how does that fail? Well, if you look at a, at a life from birth to death, it might not be fair. The question is, what happens after death? Because if all things are rectified after death, then yeah, sure, that's, that's fair. And, and a lot of people are having trouble saying, oh, well, I don't know if I can believe in the life after death. And that's a, you know, I don't know what happens after death. But the hope is, the hope of the Christian is that we believe Christ rectifies all wrongs. And... And that's a and that's a good thing. Like one day, you know, the like the right will be righted and the wrongs will be will be punished, and and that's a good thing. And people say, okay, good. Like you know, bad people go to hell. That's good. Okay, well, now we get to the hard truth, right? We get to the greater truth, right? Are you a bad person? Well, no, I'm not a bad person. Of course, I'm not a bad person. Well, how do you know? Well, I'm good enough, right? And, and there's not, 
you, you, people begin to wonder, how good do you need to be to get into heaven, get into the afterlife, right? Because let's say you experience all of God's good gifts, right? All of God's good gifts have been given down to you. You are blessed. You are happy. You are, you are materially wealthy. Well, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a fantastic thing. Um, but, again, that doesn't mean you're a good person. Material wealth doesn't say that you have lived by the rules of God. So, then people begin to ask, okay, well, then what are the rules of God? Well, have you, have you, you know, cursed by the name of God? Have you stolen? Have you lied? Have you, uh, have you loved God, right? Um, I, I was really happy to come across the story of the Pharisee and Jesus, you know. What are the two greatest commandments? Well, it's to love God and love your neighbor. And friends, we've just all failed at that, right? Some of you are saying, well, I haven't loved God, but that should not be a reason why I should go to hell. And friend, I don't know what to tell you. Like that's a it's a tough it's a tough lesson, right? Because this is a command. This isn't some guideline. This is you know, there is law. And when you break the law, there's there's deserved and right um punishment for breaking the law, right? When I speed, right, when when I'm going in a forty zone and I'm going sixty and the cop pulls me over, he has every right to pull me over. Right? And you think, well, you just went 40, 20 kilometers over the speed limit. Yeah, and I broke the law, right? Some people might say, well, that's not a big deal. Well, it's the law. The law has been put there in place so that we keep the safety for all people. And breaking the law means you are able to be punished by the law. Right? I don't... Loving God is a good law because God has created all things. God has given all things. If you are not grateful for the life that you have, just for the life, the fact that you are alive today, it, it means that God decided to give you life. Not, not some other um, time that your mother or your father could have conceived, but God gave you life. And God placed you where you are today. And you're saying, well, I like, maybe... But maybe I don't believe that God, I don't believe in God at all. Okay, well, that's fine. But just because you don't believe doesn't mean you might not still be held accountable, right? We, if the law is, and the true law is that you should love God, you should be grateful for God, you should give thanks to God for all the things that you've done, and you should love your neighbor, not cause them harm, which we have all done, right? Even if you don't believe in God, you believe in other people, because they're around you, and you know, right? Intentionally or not, we have all hurt other people, right? Yeah, and that, and that causes hurt and pain, and that has to be paid for somehow. Well, you should suffer. I don't know, I don't know how to say this more softly. You broke the law, and now you have to pay for breaking the law. And you say, wow, well, like, come on, like, Going to hell for breaking the law? How many, how many times do I need to break the law to go to hell? The answer is, it only has to happen once. Because just although he might be speeding all the time, and the cops might not be around all the time, God is around. He's watching.
watching, he's seeing, he sees what you're doing, he's catching you in the act. And it's not like this is going to be hidden from him. He's going to pull you up and if the afterlife exists, he's going to pull you up and say, you have done these things, how do you plead? It's not like you can plead not guilty. This taped evidence of you doing what you're doing. So we all have to plead guilty, right? And the judge is going to say, well, why should I change my mind? And many of us are not going to have the answer. But a few of us do, right? A few of us have said, well, God, you sent a word of truth. You sent your son Jesus to live a perfect life, to be sinless. You washed him throughout the whole 30 years, 33 years that he lived. He didn't once not love you. He didn't once not love others. He loved, right? He loved, and he, and he, he kept all the commandments. And, and recognizing that he went to die, not because he had to, because sin did not hold him, therefore death could not keep him, and he went to die on behalf of me. He went to die on behalf of me. And therefore, he took away my sin, and he gave me life. He gave me the title of Son, which was his title, the Son of God. But he gave that title to me, the Son of God. And so I'm going to ask that you judge him for taking my sin, and you spare me. That is the greatest truth. That is the greatest hope of the Christian. Right? So the truth that we looked at today is that God gives good gifts. Right? We all have good gifts that we can celebrate. The fact that we're alive today, the fact that we can know God today, that's a good gift. Right? A greater truth is that God doesn't only give good gifts, but He gives every perfect gift. Right? Where there have been wrongs that have happened to you. There have been things that have crushed you. There have been things that have killed others. And you're saying, where's the justice? Well, one day, all wrongs will be righted, right? right? Every perfect gift will be given by God, right? The innocent, the victims will have justice, <laughs> and the lawbreakers will have justice given out to them, right? The truth is God gives good gifts, the greater truth, the greater truth, is that God gives perfect gifts. And, and I think that we can, this is very spiritual. <laughs> I think we can get to the greater truth that if there's suffering here on earth and there's no afterlife, right? There are victims who will never get justice and there are oppressors who will never be handed out justice. But if there is a judgment day, if there is a day where the victims will be vindicated and the, and the oppressors will be persecuted, then we can say, yes, one day there will be justice. One day everything wrong will be made right, and one day everything that was wrong will be pressed away, and that will only leave everything that is good and pleasing and perfect. One day all wrongs will be righted, and that will be bad for some people. That will be bad, possibly, for you. The gospel, the gospel truth. And this is where we need to make a leap. Is that God gives those good and perfect gifts out to you and me. 
but sometimes that perfect gift is wrath against you. The gospel truth is that Jesus takes that wrath onto himself and it spares your life. You become transformed into a first fruit that gives honor and glory back to God because you have been spared. And so one day, judgment day, everything wrong with you will be wiped away. Everything that is holding you back from God will be removed from you and will be banished away from God. And you'll be left, left whole with that uninterrupted relationship with God, the Father, the Almighty One. Right? This is a very hard something for a lot of people to believe. But God gives good gifts. God gives perfect gifts. And the gospel truth is God gave the best, the ultimate gift ever. He gave us Jesus. So that we would not have to die, but we would live to worship and love and serve God. The application I gave today was to count your blessings. I think sometimes we don't do that enough. We don't count our blessings. And we don't add the things that, we don't realize the things, the good things, the great things, the perfect things that God has given us. Sometimes we don't realize that he's given us his son that we may be free from death and sin. Today, I want you to leave Go and count your blessings, my friends. That was the application of the sermon that I, I preached. And you're thinking, well, like, is that a gospel application? I don't, I don't think so. I think I could have made a better application point. I was a little bit rushed this week, but that does not spare me from not preaching the gospel to you. I need to think of a better application because sometimes people will walk away from applications such as this one. Like, count your blessings. Well, I am strong. I am peaceful. I am, and it's me focused, right? Counting your blessings. Maybe put better by saying, count the blessings God has given you. And realize that all good things, all great things, all perfect things that you've been given, have been given to you by God. Right? Count the blessings given to you by God and realize Every blessing in your life has been given to you by God. And thank God for that. That's the punchline. Thank God. Praise God for everything that you've been given. That's a better application. And I ask your apologies for only thinking of it now. But this is, friends, this is why I do these breakdowns. Is I'm, I'm just starting. I'm trying to become a better preacher. I'm not going to get it right all the time. And as I continue to rework in my mind how to prep, how to study, how to um, morph and to shape a good sermon, I want everything to be about the things that lead us to Jesus. The application has to lead to Jesus. The text has to lead to Jesus. The stories have to lead to Jesus. I told you that my parents 
I knew I was going to get a good gift because my parents had a track record of giving me good gifts. When you count your blessings, may you realize God has been good to you. And you are his child. Call out to him, love him, pray to him, ask him. Ask him to come near to you. There's not better blessing than knowing the peace and the presence of the Spirit of God. Thank you so much for listening today. I have more to walk through on this sermon. I'm looking forward to coming back and revisiting it. But um, go, go in peace. Go to count your blessings. Go to think about Jesus and who God is and how much he loves you. Because he loves you so much. And one day he's going to make everything wrong right. He's going to take everything that's evil and banish it to allow only things that are good into his presence. Friends, I love you. I appreciate you so much. May you be blessed today and forever. Have a wonderful evening. We will talk to you in a couple of days. Talk to you later. Bye now.